You know, whenever I ask this question, um, and people hear it for the first time, it always shocks them. Like, people just, they don't believe it. And if I were to ask you, what percentage of, of Americans have at least a four-year college degree? And a lot of people would say 50%, 60%, because it seems like everybody does. In fact, it's about 34%, about a third, which means the majority of people in America do not have college degrees. Um, and you might be going, well, is that, is that growing or is, is it going down? It's actually been growing. Um, apparently, I wasn't alive, so I can't verify this, but um, during FDR's time, um, 30s, 40s, anybody? Um, in the 1930s, 1940s, the number was, was 5%. 5%. That's like unimaginable. We just think like, oh, certainly Americans have always been more college educated, haven't they? And the answer is no. We've never been more college educated than we are now. And there was a time when it was 5%. So the question, why do people go to college? It's a question that in, in my house, I don't think it was ever really asked. It was just assumed we would go to college. And maybe that's how it was in your house. But why do people go to college? You know, the, that's a question that a lot of younger people are asking now. They're starting to say, does it really make sense? Part of it might be the cost. Part of it might be... Um, just what they want to do with their lives, and it doesn't seem to fit in that institution of college. But when we ask why do people go to college, they're going to say, you know, typically it's like to get a better job, you know, have more earning potential, get a better life, be able to pursue the career that I want, and that career um, required college. Um, and, and, you know, some form of self-fulfillment or self-achievement. And that's actually... Um, you know, kind of interesting because it tells you that what's happening in, the, in, in colleges in the United States in the last 50, 60 years is, is actually working in the fact that, that more people are going. In the 1800s, why did people go to college? Well, you went to college, especially to go to, um, to get a liberal arts degree. You know, we don't know what those words mean, liberal arts. We know, we know what each word means separately, but it really doesn't mean what we think. Liberal arts degree, the idea or a degree sometimes called the humanities. It was, you went to college to learn how to be a citizen in a free society. That's why you went. So you can imagine, you know, it's a hard sell. I'm, I just want to make a buck so I can get by. I don't want to learn to be a citizen. But what's happened in the last you know, 50, 60, 70 years, the shift has been from, not from necessarily making you a better citizen, but to training you to do a job. I could ask a related question. Um, you know, why should Christians go to college? Why should Christians go to college? You know, we can say, why do people go? And, you know, there can be different reasons. But why should Christians go? And my answer to that is going to be they should go for the same reason they should do anything else in their lives. If you're a Christian and you go to college, you go for the same reason. Same reason is this, to be better prepared to serve God in advance 
his kingdom. And at the risk of upsetting parents who probably spent tons of money sending their kids to college prep schools, if going to college is not going to help you to be better prepared to serve God and advance his kingdom, you shouldn't go. You should go wherever that is. Wherever that, that place is, whether it's you know, a job, whether it's the military. And you're like, well, you're not supposed to say that, Pastor. This is wildlife, for goodness sakes. You know, you're from Eva Beach. Maybe you could preach this sermon in Eva Beach. I'd be okay. But not over here, right? But if we're honest, that should be the reason. In fact, if you were to figure out which college should a Christian go to? Should they go to a Christian college? Maybe. But I think some parents are actually shocked when they see colleges that are labeled as Christian that are far from it. Should they go to a state college, big school, small school? No, it's the same answer. Go to the college that's going to better prepare you to serve God and advance his kingdom. Now, I'm telling you, this is for Christians, right? Because as Christians, this is why we should do anything, any decision we make in our lives, big or small. We do it for the same reason. What's going to help better prepare me to serve God and advance his kingdom? And I get it. If you're not a Christian, this doesn't make sense to you. It's fine. Or if you're kind of a Christian that thinks you have a, you have different pockets in your life, and there's a Christian pocket. You know, my daughters, I think it was Ariel, who would say, I'm full at dinner, and she's maybe five or six years old, and she'd say, I'm full, and then Cheryl would say, well, we have dessert, and she would say, the dessert pocket is empty. The chicken pocket is full, right? And that's how some people view their Christianity. There's a Christian pocket, and then there's these other pockets. And really, that's not Christianity. Christianity is either your whole life or it's none of your life. We can't like make little pockets and keep it in. Because if it's true Christianity, it's true Christianity, and you put it in a pocket, it will ooze out into every other area of your life. Now, if it's not real Christianity, you put it in, in, in a pocket, it'll stay there. And you can live a nice life thinking you're a good Christian because you did what was in the pocket. But if it's real Christianity, it's the spirit. And the spirit cannot be contained in a pocket. The spirit will ooze out. It will get into every area of your life. Why do we do what we do? Why do we do what we do? And we don't talk about this enough, or we only talk about it at certain times. But we sometimes don't talk about it in the most important things. See, I could make this answer for anything. Why should you get married? Is you married? Is marriage going to better prepare you to serve God and advance his kingdom? Or is being single? Whichever one it is, that's what you should do. Here, I'll meddle some more. When you buy a car, do you ask God which car, which car will better prepare me to serve God 
and which will advance, will help advance his kingdom. Cheryl and I got to interview someone who's kind of a mock interview, who's running for um, the Miss Hawaii. And so um, you might go, what do you know about Miss Hawaii, really? Other than I married one, not much. But they keep asking me to come do these mock interviews, right? So, so I go and, and you know, she, she talked about her dad. And her dad is a doctor. And her dad lives in Hawaii Kai. And her dad is a doctor who serves out in Waianae. And you might go, well, that's pretty amazing. Hawaii Kai, doctor, serves out in Waianae. Let me make it more amazing. He catches the bus. Yeah. Catches the bus. And he does it for a reason. I would like to tell you, finish this story with saying he's this Christian guy and he does it. I don't know that. But he asked the question. And the question wasn't simply what's fastest, what's most convenient, what's most comfortable. That really shouldn't be our question. Our question should be, okay, God, what's better going to help me prepare to serve you and advance your kingdom? Why do we do what we do? Why should Christians do anything? And see, we're also, as Christians, called to be witnesses. We're witnesses to the people around us. And we have to ask, also ask the question, when people look at us, when they look at our lives, why do they think you do what you do? Do they just think you're a good dude, you're a good person? Do they think it's because you're an overachiever? Do they think it's because you just want more stuff? Or do they think maybe you like to help other people? But how many of them think like, you know that person does what they do? Because they seem to want to serve their God. Even if they don't believe in your God, they at least look at you and go, they really want to serve God. Their whole life is centered around that, where they live, how they raise their kids, what their profession is. It needs to be central to who we are. And see, this is so important. It's so important because the reason we have trouble with this is because we live in a world that is so much fun and it has so much stuff and it pulls us in a different direction all the time. And that direction is not going towards a better place. It's not going towards a better society. That's what we're, you know, we're trying to be told. We're trying to be told that, that what's developing is a better society. And they say like, well, it's a better society because we don't want to go back to the society before. Well, you know what? I don't want to go back to that society either. But if I'm going back into the past and saying this isn't good, just because you tell me it's better in your direction doesn't mean it's better. There could be other ways to go. There could be other ways to make it good. But instead, we have people who are addicted to this world. We as Christians, we're addicted to this world. Our values, our principles, our mindset. 
There's so many things that, that we have as fundamental core beliefs of how we live that really aren't found in the Bible at all. How we spend our money, why we work, why we have families, where we live, all of that. The reasons we do all those things, they're not coming from a, a, a fundamental core that's centered in Scripture. We're still Christians, but Christianity stays in the Christian pocket, and it doesn't ooze out into these other areas. Oh, maybe it gets out in terms of us trying to be honest and trying to be kind, but it doesn't make us ask this question, why we do what we do, and people need to see it, because when they see it, they'll realize there is a different way. There is a better way. And so Jesus continues this Sermon on the Mount. And we've, we're in this section where Jesus is talking about three of the most common Jewish religious practices of the first century, stuff that everybody in Jerusalem would have seen and known. And so we talked about, the first thing was, he talked about giving to the poor. And the second thing he talked about was praying. And now, he's going to talk about this thing called fasting. In other words, going without food. And the reason he's doing this is, is because these three things, in the first century Jewish person's mind, when they're seeing these three things, this is the way you expressed your devotion to God. You gave to others, you prayed, and you fasted. But there was a problem. And the problem was that people were doing these things, but they were doing them for the wrong reasons. They didn't have the motivation. They weren't doing it to serve God and advance his kingdom. They were doing it to be noticed. They were doing it so that others might look at them and say, look how holy that person is. Look how pious they are. And so the theme that's been through the first two, and it's going to carry in this first three, is that, is that there's this theme of secrecy, privacy. Now, it's not what you think it means, okay? It's not what you think it means. Because if that were the case, then you would have to, you would have to basically hide your Christianity. And just a few verses earlier, when Jesus was talking, he said, no, you need to let your light shine before all men. It's not what we think, but it is something. It's something about motivation. And so he says this, he says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and their, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So to be clear, Jesus is not saying it's wrong to be seen. He's not saying you have to be secret agent Christian. No, it's not what he's saying. But he's saying it's wrong to want to be seen. It's not wrong to be seen as holy. 
It's wrong to want to be seen as holy. It's wrong to, to want other people to look at you and think about what a good person you are, what a good Christian you are, that that's your motivation. So it's not wrong if someone notices it. It's not wrong if someone says, like, wow, you know, you've really changed and grown. That's fine. But when my motivation is so that people do it, all right, I got a problem. And you see, these three things, giving to the poor, this is actions. So if you're giving to the poor to act holy rather than because you are holy, then you just want to be seen by others. The praying, the problem they had with praying is they would pray in public, which isn't such a bad thing, but they would pray in public, they'd make a big deal because they wanted people to hear that they sounded holy. They acted holy, they sounded holy. And then, of course, the fasting. You know, the fasting, they would, they would kind of walk around and, you know, they put ash on their face, things like that, to look holy. So they wanted to act holy, they wanted to sound holy, they wanted to look holy, but they didn't want to be holy. Because when you're holy, you keep asking this question, what, God, do I need to do to better serve you and advance your kingdom? Notice in that statement, there is nothing about you. It is not about how you can secure your place in the kingdom. It is not about how you can rise up in the ranks of God. No. It's about him. And it's about his kingdom. And so Jesus is talking specifically about fasting. He's talking specifically about praying. He's talking specifically about giving to the poor. But this really can apply to anything. Anything that we do. But I want to talk specifically about fasting um, because I think fasting is still something that we should do. And I don't think we do it, and when we do it, we don't always do it for the right reasons. So why fast? Why this thing on fasting? Well, the first thing is fasting reminds us that God is all we need. Fasting reminds us that God is all we need. You see, some people try to, try to do this thing. They, they go, you know, I'm fasting. I'm fasting from Facebook. Do you need Facebook? You know, I'm fasting from television. Do you need television? No. It's okay to do that, by the way. And as a matter of fact, it's probably a good idea, a great idea to not watch as much television or not not be on social media or whatever it is that, that you do that consumes your time. It's probably a good thing. But it's not fasting. True fasting is when we deny ourselves something that we need. And I mean really need. There's only three things you need. Air, water, food. If you decided to fast from air, I'm not sure how you would tell us, and it would be a pretty short fast. Maybe for me, I might get 
60 seconds. Some of you may be better than me and you get a good three minutes. Not much of a fast. Same thing with water. It's not only, you know, just a couple days, but it's also in those couple days, dehydration does a lot of damage to your body. We talk about food. It's, that's where the fasting centered on. Because food represented one of those three things we need. And it's something we could take a break from and not immediately die. So it's not fasting from once. It's not fasting from desires. It's not fasting from luxuries. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fast from the air conditioner. Suffer for the Lord. Well, again, it's not wrong to do it. It's just not fasting. Something that we need. And it's not fasting for the reason some people do this, do, do fasting. They, they fast so that they can, they can do more of the thing they're fasting from. So, you know, you have people that, that you know, fast for Lent or whatever. And so right before the fast, you know, they have a big party. Doesn't really make sense to me. Because the fast is, is this reminder that God is all we need. So why should I be celebrating it with gluttony? So it's not that. And it's not so that I can do more of it. It's really to acknowledge in this time, whether it's a day or two, is to acknowledge that God is more important than even the needs in my life. My life is really His. So that's the first thing, what fasting does. Second thing is, fasting reminds us that our relationship to God is more important than anything else. Not just what we need, it's more important than anything else. Notice in the text where it talks about, you know, the first half, it talks about those who are the hypocrites. Hypocrites has this idea of two-faced. They, they uh, want to appear a way that they're really not. They're like putting on a mask, they're pretending. And so there's that first half. And then the second half, it's all about this, this intimate relationship with the Father. That's what it's about. And it's this acknowledgement that, that it's in these, this secret place, that he's all that, that we need. You know, a few weeks, we're going to get to that passage of Scripture that talks about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he says, all these things, all these things you need will be added unto you. Again, it's this acknowledgement that, that righteousness, that seeking after God, our relationship to God is more important than anything else, even than our basic needs. Fasting reminds us that God meets our needs for kingdom purposes. Some people misread that Matthew 6.33 and they think like, oh, it's a promise. If I just try to live righteously, God will automatically provide all my needs really not what that is saying. 
It's not a promise. I'm good, so I get reward from God. Instead, it says, he's saying, I will meet your needs so that you might seek righteousness. I will meet the needs you have to be righteous, to be right with me. It's different at that point. It's seeking after righteousness, him meeting needs to help you to continue to do so. And so we're reminded of that. We're reminded that God meets our needs for kingdom purposes. He meets our needs for kingdom purposes. Now, if you don't really understand what God is doing, then you might think like, well, that's kind of, you know, kind of mean or cruel of God that, you know, he just, he gives you stuff so you can do his work. Well, that would be the case if he weren't God. But he is God. And he's the God who created us and the God who, who saves us and the God who knows us and the God who made us for a purpose. And in that purpose, he said, this is the most fulfilling, satisfying way you can live. That's how I made you. I made you so that you would find the kingdom the most fulfilling, satisfying way that you could live. So, if he made you for that, and you have been determined your whole life to run as far away from that as possible, then when you come back, it would be his great, abundant grace and love to allow you to continue to serve kingdom purposes. He hasn't given up on you. I say it this way sometimes. He meets our needs so that we might meet the needs of others. He meets our needs so that we might bless others. And some people, they go, okay, I like that. That's good, I'll take that. But see, how they interpret it is this way. They interpret it this way. They say, he meets our needs so that we might bless others with our scraps. We might bless others with our leftovers. And whether that's money, whether that's time, whether that's talent, it doesn't matter. We think he meets our needs. And then we use it for our needs and you know, whatever we have left over, we use to bless others. I don't think that's really what the Bible is talking about. You see, because if we understand things correctly, we understand that everything is the Lord's. He's just let you use it. And he didn't let you use it just so that you could use it in a way that didn't help advance the kingdom. He wants us to use it. He wants us to use it for his purposes. You know, I tell you guys, I, you know, sometimes that how different growing up on the west side of the island is from the east side. And people from the east side are always like, really? It's that different? Yeah. Cheryl and I went, didn't even go far west the other day, went to Pearl Ridge, and Cheryl's like, oh, wow, I feel like I'm home, right? I mean, it's different. 
And you know, when, where we grew up in, in Eva Beach back in the 70s, early 80s, there weren't a lot of opportunities. I mean, most of my friends, they didn't, they didn't even think about college. I'm not sure some of them could spell it. And even, you know, me, who was going to be college-bound, I didn't have anybody telling me how to do this. And our graduates today are so blessed. So blessed with parents, abilities, resources, schools that have been poured into your life. And if you're a believer in Christ, I hope you realize that that blessing isn't just so you can have a better life so that you can have a nicer house, so you can have a nice family. And if you say like, well, that wasn't modeled for me by my parents, be better than your parents. I sure hope my kids, if they see flaws in me, don't go like, wait, my dad did it, I guess I can do it. My kids don't talk like that, but you know what I mean. If you've been blessed, You've been given much. Much is required. And it's not just to do with, with the leftovers. He meets our needs. He blesses us so that we might meet kingdom purposes. Fasting reminds us of that. As we're doing without something we need, we are reminded about why he then will meet our needs. We're not fasting, you know, if, you know, to me, if you're fasting and, and you've been fasting for a few hours and all you can think about is that, is that big double cheeseburger you're going to have at the end of the fast, you need to fast longer. You haven't figured out the purpose of fasting yet. We need to know why, if God provided you with a double cheeseburger, that it would simply be so that he might strengthen you and give you the ability to meet the needs of others. Fasting also does one more thing that no other spiritual discipline can really do. It is a reminder that it is impossible for us to do God's will without him. Why? Because you eventually have to eat again. You see, if you start fasting, unless you're trying to fast so that you die, you are going to have to eat again. And when you have to eat again, you realize, I'm limited. I'm finite. I cannot just say, okay, God, I'm going to fast, and I'm going to pray that somehow, you know, I'm going to get this nourishment without eating. It's a recognition that you are physical. And it's a recognition that what God is asking you to do is impossible. It's impossible without him. So when we fast, that's what we think about. We think that, okay, so this is a reminder. God, you're all I need. God, this is a reminder. Your relationship to me, my relationship to you, needs to be the most important thing in my life. I need to know that when you do meet my needs, when you do bless me, 
It is so that I might achieve your kingdom purposes. And it reminds me, God, I'm limited. I'm physical. I'm finite. I cannot do this without you. It is impossible. Well, I try to end all these sermons with some practical things. I started looking at this and I thought, it's kind of silly. How to fast. We know why we should fast. We know we shouldn't fast so that everybody looks at us. We know that we should fast to remind ourselves of these things. But how to fast? Well, step one, stop eating. It's kind of what fasting means. If you're eating a cookie and saying you're fasting, you are not fasting, okay? Is that clear? We understand that part, right? So we stop eating. And it's not stop eating some things. It's not I'm going to fast from you know, certain kinds of food. No, it's everything. And by the way, this isn't supposed to go on for weeks. I'm not even sure it's supposed to go on for days. Um, when, you think, when you hear about, um, um, I think this is the season of Ramadan, that the fasting is only during the day. They'll, the, the Muslims will eat after the sun goes down and before the sun gets up. I think some of us would be much more productive if we could only eat after the sun went down before the sun came up, because I'm pretty sure most of us would get up a lot earlier in the morning. But I digress. We stop eating. We don't tell anybody. We don't make t-shirts. We don't put it on Facebook, began my fast, trying to be more humble before God. I want you all to know. No, you don't tell anybody, just do it. And in this time, you, you meditate. You meditate on who God is. You meditate on his word. If you need to, you remind yourself of these things. You might even go through time where you go, you know, God, this is reminding you that you're all I need, and yet yesterday I was, I was complaining about how I needed something else so much. It may be a time to realize that, you know, God, my, you know, I say my relationship to you is the most important thing in my life, but it's not really showing up. It's a time of reflection. It's a time to say, okay, God, how, what kingdom purposes, what do you have for me next? And it's a time to remind yourself and to meditate on who God is and say, God, this is, I need you. It's impossible. Oh, there's other things we can think about. There's other scripture that we can look at different times of our lives. But I think if we reflect on these things, it helps us. And it helps us emerge from the fast more energized, more motivated, that God would truly be all we need, that our relationship to him would become primary, that we would seek all we could do to advance his kingdom. So how to fast? 
So we talked about fasting because that's what the scripture talks about. But understand, this all goes back to how does disciples show their devotion to God? And they do it by fundamentally asking that question. How does this help me? How does it better prepare me to serve God and advance his kingdom?